Geek Out with Matt Navarra is sponsored by Pinterest. Inspire your audience and grow your company on Pinterest with a free business account. Learn more at business.pinterest.com. It's time to geek out. Hello and welcome to Geek Out with Matt Navarra, sponsored by Pinterest. I am Matt Navarra. And I'm Martin SFP Bryant. Now, one thing there's no getting away from in the modern world is that almost everything can be measured, often in real time. Our guest today is responsible for a product that measures the popularity of content on many of the web's biggest news sites. John Saroff is the CEO of Chartbeat. Meaning he'll have lots of insights into the current state of technology in terms of online publishing. So we're interested to chat to him about that and many more things. So don't forget, you can always get in touch with us on Twitter, where you'll find me as at Matt Navarro. And I'm at Martin SFP. So Matt, what have you been up to this week? Oh, well, I've not had to do as much traveling as you, because I know me and you have a little (laughs) piece of work working on which has been taking up a lot of time but i've been thinking about the future of this show really because we're at the halfway stage of season two already because we you know six episodes and uh started to think about you know sponsorship and all those sorts of things and i'm a complete amateur to this game so i'm kind of making it up as i go along faking it till i make it as boris would have said at the next <laughs> one yeah, know, well, you know I, i've always always been open with these things but yeah but transparency but we, yes, so we, we now sort of been thinking, I've been thinking about all that sort of stuff this week and then uh, just getting so soaked up and there's been so much weird stuff that I found online this week. Some of it I was going to do later on, but there's so many of them. Let's just quickly go to some of these. So there was one story about, you know, the, the Dolly Parton challenge, you know, people were driving me mad with this this week. So just stop now. There's no need for that anymore. And then there was a big debate about the, you know, do you call Instagram Insta or the gram or IG or, or anything else, which Martin, which, which do you call it by the way? I call it. Instagram because that's its name. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'd feel really, I'd feel really weird calling it the Gram or something. Um, maybe that's just me. Oh, and then the, the story for me, which is the headline of the week, was this one, which was TikTok teenagers, um, teenage boys dipping balls in soy sauce and setting houses on fire. That <laughs> that's like. <laughs> Well, TikTok, you know, platform. Yeah, yeah. So essentially, you've been despairing at the news this week. That's, that's oh, what you've been just doing. Been lots of frivolous kind of fun stuff, which is, is quite <laughs> weird. Um, but um, there's some more of these and um, some more sensible things later on in, in the quick hits for me. What about you? <laughs> Yeah, um, I've been uh, actually pretty excited because there's been new consumer apps that are actually really interesting and haven't come from big tech companies. Uh, so back when we were both working at the Next Web, it felt like every day there'd be some interesting new app coming out, or certainly every week there'd be something new for us to get excited about. And it kind of slowed down over the last few years. But just this week, uh, Scroll has come out of uh, beta. So that's available now to everyone. Scroll is an app that's basically basically a publisher endorsed ad blocker the idea is uh, you run it and you pay small amounts every month it's two pound two dollars 49 to start off with it'll go up after six months to double that but still you know less than five dollars a month and on all the sites it works with which is things like business insider and um, vox media titles like uh, the verge a bunch of other sites uh, it will remove all the ads so you get a lovely clean experience and your money from paying scroll a share of that goes to the people whose sites you visited so you're actually paying them directly and apparently it works out uh, actually a better rate than they get if they were showing you ads so i've really liked that i've been playing with it for a few months
months, but uh, it's great to see it out in the wild. And then Product Hunt launched Your Stack, which uh, is I really like it. Um, we both signed up for it yesterday. You signed up for it a bit before me, uh, which um, uh, I noticed you were on there a few hours before me because I was on a train when it launched. And uh, uh, what do you make of it? I really like well, it. Well, I got a sneaky confession to make. I, R- Ryan Hoover, the founder of Product Hunt, did message me and said, I've whitelisted you. You can go and play with it now. So I, was, I got in there and started playing with it when it came out. And I've only spent about 45 minutes an hour flicking through it when it came out. Um, but it's cool. It's really good. And I think it's it's kind of, it seems so. It's one of those so obvious things when you think of it as an extension to Product Hunt. Because uh, I'm always looking for those discussions and it's not easy to find. And uh, this kind of solves a problem and it's quite fun for, for nerds like me anyway. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Yeah, it's like a kind of trip advisor for products almost. And yeah. that's what it could turn and into. And we get that in the group all the time as well. We, you know, questions, people saying, you know, what's the best this tool? What's the best that tool? Um, so th- those questions can be now placed there as well and you get some great answers. But also they have things like um, pro t- um, pro tips. So people saying really funny, sometimes quirky, but also really helpful things you've never thought of doing with one other tech product that can solve another problem or, or a tip on using a tool that everyone gets stuck on. So yeah, it's got lots of stuff to offer. I think it'd be really popular. And the other one was Byte, which is launched, but we'll talk about that in the news section. Our guest this week is Mr. Real-Time Publishing Stats. So welcome to Chartbeat CEO, John Saroff. Thank you guys very, very much. It's, a, it's an honor to be here. Well, I'm, we're great to have you here. And we're going to talk all about the stuff that you get involved in at Chartbeat and how that relates to my previous roles and other interesting things that I'm just geekily wanting to ask you about. So we'll come on to that shortly. Anything that I can do to satisfy your, your geekish tendencies is, is, is a pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Perfect guess. Great stuff. <laughs> So, social media news, what's going on, Martin? Well, a bit of uh, breaking news as we're recording this podcast. Uh, Damien Collins, a former guest on this show, uh, of course, uh, he was the DCMS Select Committee Chair who has been hounding the social media companies, the big tech companies over regulation and wanting to hear from Mark Zuckerberg and all of that. Uh, He has not kept his role as the chair of the DCMS Select Committee. So uh, a new uh, guy has taken his place, uh, another Conservative MP Julian Knight. So we'll have to see if he's uh, quite so much of a bulldog. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. But uh, surprise news, there, Mark. Yeah, it is. I haven't been following the kind of uh, sort of changeover for this and and seeing where it was going. So this is kind of fresh to me. And uh, yeah, it's interesting because you know, I I was always quite impressed by by Damien's work in terms of not only what he was trying to achieve, um, but also the the way that he went about it. I think he was bullish, but I think he was also uh, reasonable. And so from that point of view it's uh i hope that the, the next person is as good um but uh, but yes i think mark zuckerberg can sort of sit there smiling this evening i'm sure he's quite pleased with that news i would imagine i don't know what, what do you uh, think about this john any, any thoughts on that i don't know if mark zuckerberg um given with brussels london and washington all curious about facebook um you know i, I don't know uh, british politics that well but i i do think that uh, maybe he can sleep better because it's less of an attack dog but um you know i i can imagine that there's going to be a lot of regulation uh, around facebook at least a lot of questions about facebook book coming from those three governments, uh, you know, over the course of the next couple of years. So I'm not sure if he can sleep that much better. No, I think he's just got one less uh, character that had a certain style, I think is probably the thing. But you're right. I think there's going to be a lot more of this coming up in the next, uh, well, every day and every month from, from here on inwards, I think, until it's settled. Um, but what else have we got going on in the news this week? Uh, as we mentioned briefly earlier, the uh, Vine reboot, the uh, sequel to Vine, the uh, app, uh, looping video app from one of the founders of Vine, Byte, officially launched at 
one of the strangest times I've seen an app launch ever you know, for quite a high profile app. It was the end of Friday. So it was kind of like midnight on Saturday around uh, around then UK time, but uh, kind of still end of the working day uh, in in uh, the West Coast of the US as well. So that was quite an interesting timing. But uh, the app itself is actually really good. So you, you think that maybe, you know, with TikTok on the scene, there's been no space for another app. Having played around with Byte a bit, it's got its own flavor to the content. And they're doing an interesting thing where they, they're going to do revenue share with uh, some of the creators. So I think there's an opportunity here. Matt, you've been using it for a while. What do you make of it? Yeah, I was in the beta for this and I've been in it for oh, several months now. I can't remember, like three or four months. Um, and uh, it's great. I really like it. I don't think it, it, it obviously has some um, similarities to um, TikTok. You know, short form video, you can't get away from that. Um, there's you know lots of different is in that TikTok has a much more developed creator toolkit to play around with. This is much more, you know, of a simpler experience for now. Um, and I think that the content, I think it's going to be uh, appeal to people who like that renaissance of, um, of Vine, because there's a lot of love, I think, still for Vine out there. I think it'll appeal to people who are interested in TikTok or use TikTok because it has a lot of similarities. Um, so I think it'll, it'll live or die by kind of the community that built, is built around it. And, and if it does um, find some sort of niche within it that uh, gives it a, a USP, but um, I don't know. John, what do you think? Uh, I will um, leave the judgment to my 16-year-old stepdaughter, Nina. And when <laughs> she starts using it, it will have succeeded. Uh, and until she does, uh, it will be in like the great unknown for me, right? Having a 16-year-old at home just gives you a much, much better sense of whether or not these things are going to take off or, or, or not. So I'm going to leave it to Nina. Absolutely. Well, I'm the same. I, I, I've been a slow burn on in terms of use of TikTok, but it's it's got me by the algorithm, and I'm I'm stuffed now. <laughs> I'm absolutely stuffed. Um, we've got some other news from Facebook. What's been going on with Facebook this week? Yeah, so they finally uh, launched their um, off Facebook activity tool, which is uh, something that you can uh, go into in your settings and you can see all the data that Facebook has essentially bought in from other providers, uh, other apps and things that you use. Uh, so you can see what the kinds of things they've collected from these uh, companies and you, can, uh, you can't delete them completely. That's the other thing. Um, it, uh, Facebook kind of made it seem like maybe you could just delete it and block it from ever coming through again they'll still collect it it just won't be as tightly linked to the rest of your facebook identity so uh it seems a bit smoke and mirrors in terms of how they're doing this matt what did you think yeah, I kind of caught the first bit of it, you know, that it was out. And I actually spotted it by, you know, I'm like geeky with these things. I was going through the the settings of the app about a week before this news came out. And I found the setting for off Facebook activity. And I was like, oh, that's new. And I tweeted it out as I always do and thought nothing more of it, forgetting, you know, I was so busy that this, you know, was something that we knew was coming and was a big deal. And then, uh, of course, it was released. Um, but I think, you know, uh, credit for them for doing something. That's good. Well done, Facebook, for doing something. So we should give them credit there. But yeah, it's a lot. Of, there's a little it's all about the subtleties and, and the nuances of the tool and as martin was saying about it's not really deleting or stopping or blocking it's more about kind of sort of putting it in one place and kind of keeping it separate from other things and other connections and you know out in the background so if ch things change and they want to use it or maybe they use it in ways they shouldn't be who knows it's been accused before and then uh, that's what they could do so yeah i don't think it's going to have great effect in terms of uh, the, the, the love it's, it's worth, though, don't yeah, have it is worth going and looking at your uh, off Facebook activity 
section in the settings of Facebook, though, just because it'll open your eyes to the kinds of companies that, you know, maybe you've got and there's a free app that you use a lot. And it turns out that actually there's a lot of data being fed back to Facebook from there that you, you didn't think Facebook would have any business knowing. Yeah, I was I, I was blown away. I mean, I um, took I, I don't have Facebook on my phone. I'm an occasional web user. Like I use it probably, you know, once every couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, I went in there and was stunned at just how much the pixel attracts me. Right. Like on apps that I never even think about. Right. Like there's a, there's a food delivery app that I use, you know, every couple of days that as far as I can remember, have never, ever, ever. I don't use Facebook to log in. Right. I, it's just an app that I use to order my lunch. And I was stunned that something like, you know, 372 times that it accessed my, my Facebook profile. <laughs> I just couldn't believe it. Right. You just, that, that kind of stuff. I mean, I would suggest everybody just go in there and check it out. Right. Because it's uh, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. I, yeah. I did a thing for um, Mozilla not so long ago with Firefox and they, they asked me to spend uh, a day from the moment I sat at my computer till the last moment of the day um, um, tracking using their uh, in Firefox built-in kind of uh, blocking uh, trackers and um, tool feature uh, to see how many per hour and what sites and things. And by the end of the day, I had a thousand trackers that were following all of the movements from where site to site and things I was searching for, everything else. Um, and, uh, and it was predominantly from publishing sites, which I'm going to come on to a question about the, these sorts of things with you in, in a bit. But uh, yeah, interesting stuff nonetheless. So we're going to be talking to John a little bit more later on. But first, Geek Out with Matt Navarra is sponsored by Pinterest. And each week we share tips to help you make the most of the platform. This week's Story Pins, the newest way to share ideas on Pinterest. Story Pins give creators more space to share inspiration. They're a new pin format with the same long lifespan as a pin, meaning they don't disappear after 24 hours. Story Pins have everything readers need to bring ideas to life all in one place, whether they need a step-by-step recipe guide or a DIY how-to tutorial. Engage your audience on Pinterest with a deeper brand story, announcement, tutorial, or editorially-led guide. Here are four quick benefits of creating Story Pins. One, you can tell a bigger story. Each story pin can have multiple images, videos, and links, whether it's a multi-step DIY or beauty tutorial, or a list of your top 10 travel spots. Two, grow your audience. High quality story pins get excellent distribution, making them an ideal way to reach more people on Pinterest. Three, help people take action. Image, text, and video pages help you give pinners the details they need to bring ideas to life. Four, track success. Pin stats show all close-ups, saves, clicks, and impressions for each story pin, all in one place. Story pins are only available to business users in select markets, including the UK. They're a new type of pin, meaning there are lots of opportunities to create something entirely fresh. So, tell a more immersive story. Visit help.pinterest.com to find out how to create your first story pin and learn more. So, John, tell everybody a bit about yourself and a bit about Charby, because I know it's a really important app. And I also really enjoyed using it when I was at the next web. And I know lots of my kind of geeky tech media news type people who work in publishers are very aware of, of it. But not everyone is, is like that. So tell, tell us a bit about it. Not everyone is like that. Really? I I can't imagine that. Um, So I'm John Saroff. Uh, I'm the CEO of Chartbeat. um, And we're the the world's leading real-time analytics tool for media companies and marketers. And what uh, Chartbeat helps folks do is... um, 
you know, see what their audience is consuming, see what content their audience is consuming in real time, and then react to it. So, you know, to use you guys at the next web, um, you know, folks uh, at places like the next web, um, you know, we'll see how people are reacting to their stories, their videos, both on site, in app, on social platforms, um, and then make real time decisions. So, you know, maybe double down by promoting uh, something on Facebook or on Twitter, or perhaps optimizing a headline or optimizing an image. Um, and, you know, over the years, we've built kind of a suite of tools really, really focused on this real-time optimization use case. Um, and uh, we've got about 700 clients in about 70 countries. Um, we serve them all from one office here in New York City, and uh, that's where I'm talking to you from. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, we've got some interesting questions, I think, anyway, to ask you. Most of them from my geeky kind of background of the TNW days. But uh, Martin, I think you've got a couple of things. Yeah. So you must get, obviously, you're collecting all this data from all these different publishers. So you must get uh, a nice overview of trends when it comes to the publishing world as a whole online. So uh, how have consumption behaviors changed in general in the last couple of years have you have you seen any any shifts in the way we as readers are 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 changing our habits yeah absolutely i mean it's actually it's um the, the it's it, it's one of the best one of the best parts about working here is just that we get to see those trends and you know we get to talk to folks like you and and our clients about them um so the overwhelming number one trend is just the shift to mobile i think that um you know when you guys were at the next web, you know, and when I started here, which was in, in 2013, you know, it was about 55, 45 desktop mobile in terms of, um, media, uh, and news consumption specifically. And over the last six or seven years, um, that's more than flipped, right? So now we're talking about 65, getting on 70% mobile consumption. Um, and that's, uh, that's, you know, stunning, right? And, you know, the, the reason it's so stunning is that frequently, um, you know, you'll, you'll go to somebody's office and you'll see them kind of laying out, you know, whether it's a, a marketing campaign or, a, a, you know, a, a, a sports section or whatever it may be. Um, and they'll be laying it out on some giant 60 inch screen. And, you know, the reality is that everybody's going to look at it on a, you know, on an iPhone. Um, and I think that's, that's the number one biggest shift is just that, you know, we have all moved to devices and, and uh, everybody's got to be aware of that. And it's also like people's some um, behaviors in terms of them, um, where they're the device that they using and also the, the, the way that they're doing it, whether it's through a, a, an app or of the specific kind of publisher or, or through social media in, in, in one of their like, private groups. Is there anything in those things that has changed as well? Or has that been quite static for a while or where are we with that? No, that's, that's also changed a, a great deal. I mean, I think, you know, we saw from kind of 2000 and 2000, from 2000 kind of 13 to 2017, kind of an inexorable rise of Facebook. And we kind of never thought that uh, it would stop. Um, and then in kind of late 2017, early 2018, Facebook changed their algorithm to prioritize uh, what they called, I think, friends and family content over kind of news content. And uh, just for your, your, listeners, this is all organic stuff we're talking about, not, not paid stuff, right? This is just folks, people and publishers and marketers posting without putting any money behind it. Um, and then they changed the algorithm in late 2017, early 2018, and it went off a cliff. So Facebook traffic, um, to our customers went down by about 40% in, you know, about a six month time frame. Um, and the thing that we found really interesting was that basically simultaneously, um, you know, 
traffic from search, specifically from Google, um, increased actually more than that. So over that time, the, the, the rise in Google more than overcame the drop in Facebook. Um, and, you know, that tells you a couple of things. One, it, it tells you that people actually care and they really want to consume, um, you know, high quality content. Um, uh, and they're they're going to find it no matter what. And it also tells you that Google, you know, which for a long time was seen as kind of a mobile laggard, is doing a heck of a job, right? I mean, between Android, um, the accelerated mobile pages project, which is super geeky and um, nicknamed AMP for the super geeks out there, um, and also just kind of a, a general investment in speed and referenceability, um, Google and search uh, is now, I think, by far the number one refer to our customers. Um, I think one of you asked a quick question about, you know, are they getting there from apps? And that's also a Renaissance story, which is, I think, you know, as Facebook declined, um, publishers own apps and, and, uh, for the marketers that have apps, their own apps actually also rose. So people actually started downloading apps, started consuming them. Um, and that's also driven to kind of a, a transition to, um, you know, different business models and, and, and all sorts it, of things. Can you still within Charby and, and I guess any tools, uh, be able to see a significant, uh, kind of movement into when an algorithm change may have occurred, even ones where they publicly said this is going to happen, but also the ones where there's a suspicion of it. Do you notice enough of a difference to kind of give you that signal or, or is it such more subtle these days with, with algorithmic change? Uh, no, it, it, you know, it ranges. I think, you know, there are the things that just to, to contrast the two I talked about, right. The, the Google change happened very, very steadily over time. So we kind of, you know, at first thought it was a blip and, you know, you know, maybe it was just an event like, you know, a sports event or a weather event, right. You know, Google traffic tends to spike around big events, but then it just kept going. And that, that was more gradual. Um, the Facebook thing was clearly an algorithm shift. I mean, you know, there was a, uh, you know, we keep kind of a graph in the office that we're always updating around where traffic is coming from. And it literally, you just see, um, kind of one day in October and one day in January, and it looks, it looks like a cliff, right. It, it just, boom. Um, now I, I should say to the audience, just so that they're not, um, uh, you know, confused. Um, in the intervening time, actually, traffic from Facebook has picked back up, and we actually have no idea why, right? Like they haven't said anything publicly. Um, they did announce the the negative algorithm change um, publicly, but they haven't said anything uh, about this, but now our publishers are beginning to see more traffic from Facebook once again. Yeah. And I think it's also, they got the, 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 the um, today in some sort of local news is, uh, is there, I'm not sure how much of an impact that is. Cause I don't think it's so widely spread yet. I think it's mostly us, isn't it? Um, but, um, but there, and there's watch and there's con video content and things like that. But, but yeah, I think you're right. You know, there hasn't been any significant announcement about other algorithmic things, but, um, but yeah, Martin. Yeah, I was just wanting to drill down into that Google thing a bit more because you were mentioning uh, the uh, the rise of Google traffic. Uh, as I understand it, the the new tab uh, page in Chrome on mobile is a big driver of that because they put loads of news on there. Is is that what's driving a lot of this traffic? Um, so it, that is additional. So we actually, we classify, um, when I say Google, I'm specifically, when I said Google before, I'm specifically talking about Google search. The thing that you're talking about, which, um, people call it all sorts of different things. We call it Google Chrome suggestions. Um, you, you know, I think it actually has an official Google name, but internally we call it Google Chrome suggestions. Um, that thing actually is, is separate. And that thing, you know, just to put an order of magnitude, that thing sends as much traffic to publishers, actually more traffic to publishers than Twitter does in aggregate. 
it. Um, so it's this thing that actually I think very few of us notice, right? We open up Chrome on our, you know, iPhone, iPad, Android, and we're like, oh, you know, let me click on this, right? Mine is filled with rise of Skywalker, you know, criticism and speculation, right? Um, and, and, you know, inevitably I click on it. Um, but that thing is now bigger than Twitter. And it just shows you the power um, that, that Google has, right? You know, when these defaults, um, either they're behavioral defaults because you're just used to using them or they are, um, you know, installed defaults because your, um, your uh, carrier has put them on, on your phone. It just shows you like, you know, the power of these defaults, which is just that, you know, you kind of get in the habit, you start clicking and then massive trends happen downstream. Good stuff. And uh, so in terms of metrics now, you know, what sort of metrics um, are brands tending to be or publishers tending to want to be able to get information on and which ones should they be focusing on? You know, I know that uh, in years gone by, it wasn't so long ago, there was a big discussion um, about attention and an attention score. And prior to that, it was, you know, you know, pet classic page views and kind of, you know, bounce rates and things. Talk us through what, you know, where, where things are at now in terms of um, publishers, big or small. Yeah, I think, you know, you're seeing a little bit of a diversification. I think, you know, uh, folks who are still really wedded to an ad model, um, you know, folks who, you know, portals and, um, you know, anybody who, you know, has broad distribution and doesn't, isn't really trying to sell you a, a subscription or, or drive you to a, a purchase, right? Those folks are still concerned with pages and uniques, right? It's about reach and it's about um, bulk. Um, you know, what we're seeing increasingly and where we're taking Chartbeat is to much, much more of a focus on loyalty, right? And much more of a focus on getting the right people in who are going to help you build an audience over time, right? What we've just seen is that the most sustainable businesses are the businesses that focus on, you know, the loyalists. They understand what their loyalists want. They understand how to reach them um, and they re uh, reach them repeatedly in multiple channels. Um, and that's, that, that's, those folks are much more worried about things like um, what we call engage time, right? Which is a metric uh, that you kind of alluded to about engagement, which is actually how much time a user is spending actively consuming content on the site or the app. Um, and they're much more worried about things like um, what we call recirculation, which is the, um, uh, you know, uh, percentage of people that have actually viewed more than one article on, on a site, right? If you're actually trying to build loyalty, um, those two metrics in concert can really, really, really help you deepen engagement, right? And, and I think we all kind of get that intuitively, right? It's much easier. If somebody's already decided to come spend time with you, it's much easier to get them to come back than it is to get a all new person to come in. And I actually think finally the business models are beginning to line up to that. Cause I think for years, everyone was so obsessed with reach and they didn't really care where that reach came from. And I think that's really, really changing. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And, and uh, it's an area that I'd like to spend more time doing with them. It's something I miss from not being at the next web uh, anymore, but uh, Martin. When we were talking before about Facebook and uh, how it's a great source of traffic or how it used to be a great source of traffic and seems to be again, you were saying uh, coming back, uh, I was remembering the golden days, maybe five, six years ago, when uh, publishers could post uh, a story on their site and sometime later they'd post it on Facebook and the traffic would instantly, it was like that. Oh was like God, I remember in the next web, yeah. we would have events when we'd kind of like, guys, it's picking if something's happening, you want something's happening on Reddit, something's happening on Reddit or something's happening from somewhere else. And you'd see Google Analytics or Chartbeat or whatever we were using at the time, um, going through the roof and it was insane. We'd be like two, three hours ordering in pizza. It was, it was uh, geek entertainment at its geekiest. 
Yeah, and the writers would all uh, be uh, petitioning you, Matt, saying, please put my post up on Facebook, please put my post up on Facebook. But I just wondered what the situation now is, um, John, around uh, social media. What what are the sources, uh, when it comes to social, are the particularly uh, big sources? Uh, and uh, how, how are publishers approaching using social media as a traffic source? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great question. I mean, listen, I, I don't want to pretend like, you know, you guys are talking about the horse and buggy days, right? Like that still does happen, right? There are still, um, you know, massive Facebook spikes. It is such a big platform. It is still, you know, somewhat unpredictable and that kind of stuff still happens. And it still, you know, is the big dopamine hit for, for lots and lots of folks. On, on that um, point, John, on that point though, um, I think the, uh, I don't think we've ever had a major traffic spike like that from Facebook. The only time it's happened is either come from Reddit. I think 80% of the time hacker news um, and sometimes just something completely off the wall that you wouldn't expect. It's, it's huge, but in, t- um, in terms of traffic, from Twitter or Facebook has never hit those kind of sky, low, sky high levels. Well, that's, that's, that's a reflection of your vertical, right? I mean, I think, you know, if you're in, you know, mainstream sports, mainstream news, mainstream entertainment, right? Like that's the, that kind of stuff is just um, still really, really, really can, can pop on Facebook and Twitter because the reach is just so, so big. Um, but I think what's, what's kind of happened, I think after that drop with publishers, um, and, 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 you know, marketers who had organic reach kind of realized was, you know, we just can't rely on this, right? We just can't, we, we have to, we have to plan as if it's not going to happen and build our business otherwise. And if it happens, that's gravy. And, you know, we can, you know, maybe buy a, you know, a couple extra pints at the end of the day, <laughs> but let's not, let's not go crazy trying to build a business off of it. Um, and I think that's probably the right way. And, and, and what we're seeing actually is, you know, that a lot of the other social platforms, you know, folks, things like Instagram, things like TikTok are used much, much more for things like branding than they are for kind of revenue generating or, um, you know, audience building exercises. So for example, like, you know, you know, just to reveal my inner news geek, right? Like my, um, my favorite TikTok is the Washington Post TikTok. I don't know if you guys have checked it out. Oh, I love it. it. It's great. It, right. It's amazing. Right. And, you know, why are they doing that? Well, one, they're doing it to have fun because it looks like a hell of a lot of fun. And two, I think they're doing it because they want to humanize the Washington Post. I think they, you know, it's a subscription driven uh, publication, right? They want to build a loyal audience. They know that, you know, it, it's a brand that, um, you know, is laden with history and and tradition and and high quality. But, you know, for a certain segment of the American population, right, like, doesn't really have a brand face. And I think what they're doing with that TikTok is they're trying to put kind of a fun and approachable face on the Washington Post for folks who, you know, didn't grow up in DC and, and, you know, don't have that association with it and still think about it through the lens of all the president's men. And, and I think it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. And I think, um, the Vox properties, you know, especially kind of like things like Eater are doing that with Instagram and, um, you know, things like, um, the intelligence are doing that with Instagram. And that's really, really, really different than five years ago where everybody just looked at social and they were like traffic, 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 right? That's, that's not exactly what it is anymore. Is it now the case then with publishers that being that traffic for, for maybe more than usual or more than in the past is not, is not so much of a big thing. It's more about uh, attention or conversions around the site or, or other things. You know, what is it, the other things it's about for publishers others, other than traffic and, and how does that affect, you know, third party tools that have kind of always been geared towards, you know, tracking things like, you know, page views? 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really good point. I mean, you know, for us, it's, it's about a big, big focus um, and a big, you know, push we're making this year um, into understanding loyalty and conversion, right? I just think that they're, um, you know, we've always been really good at measuring loyalty, right? We've, you know, our focus um, in, you know, when you guys were using the tool was, okay, you got this Facebook spike. How do you convert that into a loyal reader, right? Now it's, you know, you've got this spike or you broke this amazing story or, you know, you have these readers that you never got before from, Google, right? How do you convert them into subscribers? Or if you're something like, you know, the wire cutter, right? How do you turn them into people who are going to, you know, uh, click on affiliate links uh, around your site? And, and I think that's, that's where all of us have to go, right? Because, you know, uh, that's what's going to be um, the future, right? Everybody is becoming a B2C brand. Um, and, you know, they're going to have different levers for you to pull, but everybody's becoming a B2C brand. And, you know, we have to change to reflect that. And, you know, we're very, very lucky that we have incredible users around the globe who who love our products. Um, but we, you know, there's the Andy Grove saying only the paranoid survive. And, you know, you have to be constantly innovating or else you're in the wrong business. So what are some of the classic mistakes publishers are making when it comes to content and social media as a distribution channel? You know, the, the things that happened even a year ago already seem kind of strategies or, or what people are thinking about this sort of space is, is different. So where is it in 2020? I think there's a couple of things. I think number one, right, like you, you got to have a goal for for every platform, right? You have to absolutely understand, right? Like, you know, this is what we're trying to get out of TikTok. This is what we're trying to get out of Instagram. This is what we're trying to get out of Apple news. Um, and you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be the same thing, right? It can reflect the audience that's there. Um, but you have to have a strategy. And I think the, the places where we, um, that we're constantly advising our users and our customers on are, is just really, really understand, um, you know, what, what your purpose is, right? It's, it's almost like kind of merchandising, right? You know, um, you know, when you write a story or shoot a video, um, you know, what platform are you, are you shooting it for? Um, and what's its goal? Um, and, you know, thinking about that, I think constantly just helps you build a better business and helps you build, uh, you know, a brand that connects more with folks. And I think the place where people run into trouble is, you know, experimentation is fun. And I think that, you know, constantly experimenting, but when it becomes, um, you know, just doing it for doing its sake, that's where folks get into, into trouble. I was just thinking about a few years ago when I wrote a piece about um, ad blockers. And I was saying, this was a furious piece I wrote when ad blockers were starting to become really popular. And I was saying that ad blockers were absolutely terrible and they were appalling. And anyone who uses them were hate, hated publishers and they should they should uh, delete their ad blocker immediately. And it was unethical to, to use an ad blocker. And I roundly got criticized by people who were saying, you don't understand how bad ad tech has become. And... I, I, I've shifted my mind on that quite a lot since then. Not quick enough that that piece didn't get cited in a book someone wrote. <laughs> That's been quoted in a book. You live, you live forever on the internet, Martin. You live forever Absolutely. on the internet. And, yeah. and in printed paper form, sadly. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so, uh, so if we look at now, I mean, I'm reading, I'm reading our notes for this episode on, uh, in, in Google Docs in Brave, a browser which is designed to strip tracking and all sorts of oh, things out of, of those. Uh, He's one of those, John. One of those. Yeah, yeah. but it's it's become well, it's become normal now. I think Uh, you know, uh, just just this week, uh, your predecessor as CEO of uh, Chartbeat, Tony Hale, launched Scroll, which is uh, like a publisher. We were talking about this earlier on the show before you joined us. Actually, is a a publisher endorsed ad blocker essentially. Um, So it's perhaps challenging times for publishers who uh, uh, may be finding the backlash against ad tech growing. 
where are publishers in terms of monetization and, and solving that whole puzzle in, in the modern age? Yeah, listen, I think they've become much, much more uh, progressive in the last even 18 months. I, I think that, you know, th- I think that the Facebook thing was a kind of a wake up call um, that you you know had to come up with with new models. And I think that what we're seeing is um, that particularly subscriptions and commerce, and uh, you know, a- a- affiliate stuff um, have really, really taken off. Folks are now reorienting their business, um, you know, in those two directions. And the thing that I really like about it is that... Um, uh, you know, folks are, uh, you know, experimenting, but they're experimenting tactically, right? They're actually, you know, signing up with, with a scroll, right. And, uh, you know, full disclosure, right. Chartbeat is actually, uh, you know, supporting Tony and is in a, a very, very small investor in scroll, but we, you know, we think that what he's doing is is brilliant, right? He's he's jumping on a trend, which is ad blocking, and he's trying to turn that into consumer revenue. And you know that's a great experiment. He's got some great people on board. Um, but then we also look at you know I think you know all sorts of different subscription models and reader revenue models are beginning to emerge, right? Whether you're the Guardian, you know, with the little uh, yellow membership thing at the bottom of every page. Or you're the New York Times, right? You know, or you're, you know, uh, somebody who's got a Substack newsletter and is charging, you know, ten bucks a month for, you know, football coverage, right? I think like there's just a much, much bigger and broader diversity, and it's much less reliant on, you know, ad agencies in Madison Avenue than it was, you know, four or five years ago. Now, I think the trick is that if you actually look at the P and Ls of these businesses, right? Advertising is still huge, right? It's still like the lion's share. And the transition is going to be really, really hard, right? But I do think that we're going to come out of the transition, you know, could be in a couple of years, could be in 10 years. We're going to come out of the transition with really, really, really strong kind of next generation publishers that really, you know, know how to deliver stuff to, to audiences. And how does it work now for someone like uh, a, a chart B or, or just for publishers themselves when a lot of the um, things that are kind of progressive or, or innovative in this space now are things like um, smart speakers and, and uh, uh, podcasts and, and things about listening and viewing a video, listening to audio, viewing of uh, video and some of the kind of newsletter subscriptions. Is it, is it more all about kind of all the different subscriptions and, uh, as a monetization option that kind of needs to be managed by a publisher or, or is, there, is there something else that they're looking at, they can look at through some of the data for these things. Yeah. I mean, I think, listen, there's a huge challenge and a huge opportunity, right? We were very, very early to video um, and, you know, have, uh, you know, ways for folks to track uh, their video in real time, just like we do with, you know, the standard uh, web and standard mobile apps. Um, and that's been very, very successful for us. And I think, you know, um, you know, I think video increasingly is a way for folks to, um, you know, really, really engage. Um, and I think podcasts and audio, you know, are, are places where we're, we're also, um, thinking about, um, because it's not that dissimilar, right. You're, you're, you're basically making an integration with, with a player. Um, I think the, the newsletter stuff is an interesting challenge, right? Because you've never, you know, the things like MailChimp and other, uh, HubSpot and other kind of email MarTech stacks, right. Don't really think in an engagement focused way or in a reader focused way. Um, and I also think there's an opportunity there where, um, uh, you know, you can actually, uh, you know, you know, almost build a chart beat for, for that. I think for us, you know, the, the challenge is right. You gotta, you, you can't do everything, right. You, um, you know, I think our vision, which is to enable meaningful stories to thrive, um, you know, has a future for chart beat where we're tracking everything on every device in every country on every globe. And we're helping, you know, every content creator. Um, but the path to get there is a path filled with, uh, choices. Um, and, you know, for us, I think, you know, um, 
you know, that's, that's the, the thing. I mean, I think podcasting is really interesting because as you guys know, it's a super competitive world out there, right? Everybody with, um, you know, a microphone and, uh, you know, a computer's got a podcast and very, very few are in the top 10 in Sweden. So I, just like 10, say, I was going to say, 10. we've hit top, top 10 yeah. now, UK and Sweden. Right. God I mean, knows how that happens. Yeah, there's, only, there's only 10 that could be the top 10 in Sweden. So, you know, I think, uh, it's, uh, Sweden, Ireland, UK in the last, in this season, it's been in top 10. So we've been, we've been pretty I mean, I was blown away, right? I mean, you know, listen, when I saw that you were in the top 10 in Sweden, I I mean, the Swedes know what they're talking about. That's the country of Spotify. That's the country of Ikea, right? I mean, that's you know, I mean, the that's the land of geek. It's just exactly, right? I mean, that's, you know, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. It's good stuff. It is indeed. And so Martin, you have a newsletter as well, and you're into this area more than I am. What, what do you make of all of this? Yes, I have a daily newsletter, which uh, is a bit of a a chain around my neck in a way, because I have to, six days a week, I have to uh, put together this newsletter in the mornings, but uh, but it's fun. Uh, And yeah, I do, I I love to see the the real-time stuff. So I use um, Review uh, for my newsletter, which is one of the platforms that you can use to create a newsletter and monetize it. And uh, yeah, I really enjoy um, seeing what people are looking at, uh, and, uh, and it helps me refine my product in a way, because I know what my readers are interested in um i i do wonder if if uh, are you looking at this kind of uh, uh, newsletters integrating into chartbeat in a more uh uh tight way in the future? Is that something uh, you're looking at, John? Yeah, I think, listen, our first priority is going to be less the newsletter only folks like you, which I actually think is, you know, fascinating. But to your point, you know, things like review and Substack and others have, 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 you know, been working on that. And I think far, you know, what we're seeing is that the newsletter is becoming an incredible driver of audience and uh, especially loyal readers for um, big publishers and marketers, right? So the, the thing that's really, I think, I- interesting about that is that, you know, loyalists love newsletters. And that's that's an amazing thing because it's so hard to figure out how to write and create uh, content that is going to really, really capture your loyalists. And th- that's the opportunity we see in newsletters, right? Which is helping folks measure um, how uh, newsletters are driving brand loyalty, um, et cetera. And you actually, um, you know, not to be too uh, of a salesman, but you can actually, you can track that right now in Chartbeat. Um, and, uh, you know, we're very, um, very, very happy about that and been very pleased with uh, what we've seen from that. So what advice would you give or, or tips even to to smaller publishers or, or independent bloggers? Because um, these are probably not necessarily the sort of people that would use a Chartbeat. I think the cost, it's kind of, this is, am I right in saying it's more geared for Chartbeat for, for larger publishers? But but what about the sort of smaller size publications? What would your advice be to them in 2020 to develop some traffic, develop an audience and, and maybe to monetize? Yeah, listen, I think it's, you know, everybody's a publisher now. It's the, it's a, it's a hackneyed and, and trite phrase, but it's really, really true. I mean, I was out to, to dinner with, with some folks yesterday and somebody was like, I have a food blog. And I was like, you have a food blog? And she's like, well, it's on Instagram, right? And it's interesting, right? Because, you know, the three of us kind of come from the era of of when blogging was a thing, right? And um, it, it's not, it, you know, somebody who has an Instagram where they take pictures of food considers themselves a blogger. I mean, that kind of blew me away, right? But I think it's kind of onto something, right? If you're passionate about something, if you've got um, a, an audience that you want to hit, right? Just get out there and start creating, right? And, and I think the one thing I would pick is I would pick an audience, pick something that you know a lot about that you're super passionate about um, and just master it and write everything 
you can about it, right? Because when I think about the the small publishers and small newsletters that I'm reading um, and that I'm watching, it's all stuff about things that I'm just a total geek on, right? Like, so, you know, I'm a huge Liverpool supporter, right? And, you know, the, the um, you know, all of the things that I love um, in Liverpool are tiny independent producers, right? And the Liverpool Echo, right? But tiny independent producers who are writing newsletters um, and the Liverpool Echo is how I get my Liverpool news, right? And I live in Manhattan, right? I don't live on Merseyside. Um, so I think number one, pick something you're passionate about, own it and write it. And number two, take advantage of, you know, all of the platforms that are out there, right? You know, I think, you know, review Martin's a great idea. I'm, I'm a big fan of what Substack is doing in, in newsletters, right? Um, and then make sure you're tracking, right? And, uh, you know, we're not that expensive. So give us a call um, and, you know, or put some, put some, some GA on it and, you know, just constantly be um, relentlessly, relentlessly improving, right? And, and that's kind of the chart beat story too, right? We found something that we were passionate about, which was helping, uh, folks like you guys, right? Like, you know, get your stories out there and get, build a bigger audience. And we've just been, you know, hammering at it for, you know, now 11 years and, you know, we just keep learning new things and having more fun. And, and that's, that's what I would tell anybody to do, um, no matter what they want to do. I, I so, think, so yeah, I, I, it's my advice when someone has ever asked me and it's not, doesn't happen that often. I think people don't trust me, um, but <laughs> it's, it's just to own a niche. And, and I sort of spiraled into this kind of geeky niche with social media somewhat by accident, but, um, I was enjoying it. And, and then I kind of thought, well, I'm going to do something I'm going to do it to the best of my ability and be the best person at doing it as best as I can try to be um, and I think that that has kind of been a, a difference between trying to trying to do something that you're maybe not as passionate about and everything's harder when it's something you're kind of doing for for the sake of it or you think it's what you should be doing so I think there's something to be said for, for finding Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Martin. Yeah. Uh, so we were talking about Facebook earlier as a traffic driver and uh, and uh, that kind of relationship between Facebook and publishers, but uh, it, it goes deeper than that, doesn't it? Because uh, there's been a bit of a tortured relationship there between publishers and Facebook with things like instant articles, which were the big thing, and then they weren't the big thing anymore. And uh, there's this uh, new news aggregation offering they're going to be launching, and they've just hired a, a Fox News producer to work on that, which has raised a few eyebrows in some quarters. Uh, so there's still this kind of shaky relationship maybe between the two. Uh, how do you see that shaping up in 2020? You know, I, listen, it's an election year in the United States. So oh, it's always uh, a good year for the world. Exactly. So, so I think, listen, I think, um, I think that publishers in Facebook are going to have, I mean, there's a you know big article today about um, is the Trump campaign, you know, far ahead of everybody else when it comes to Facebook. And, and I see the, I, I see publishers actually, um, you know, returning to what they're good at, which is I think they're going to spend the year covering Facebook, right? I think they're going to spend the year covering Facebook and covering its role in the election and almost playing a watchdog. Um, and I think that actually will probably make Facebook uncomfortable, right? Because I think Facebook is very, very good and very, very, um, you know, professional when it comes to having the relationships that they've been having for the last couple of years, which is, you know, traffic and, you know, building audience and whatever. And now I think publishers are going to do what they do, which is, you know, a, I don't, I don't know where it was, but I saw it today. It's a big article about, you know, is Trump really far ahead on Facebook and why? Right. And what's that about? And, you know, um, that, that's what I think the relationship's going to be. And then in 2021, uh, when, you know, things get back to normal, if they do, um, mm -hmm. you know, then, uh, then I think we'll see, um, you know, kind of a retrenchment. I, if I was Facebook, I would be, um, much more concerned about Washington, Brussels and, uh, 
now that London is no longer Brussels, London, um, than I would be about, uh, you know, the, the publishers. I mean, I think that's where their big, that's where the big um, unease is going to come from uh, over the course of the next and you know, As a so. citizen of the of the US and the, the, the motherland of, of Facebook, I'm intrigued. Can you tell me what what's your personal opinion of the situation with Facebook for, for the year ahead in terms of all the things it's embroiled in and the risks to its business or the opportunities to its business? You know, how, what's your assessment of Zuckerberg and Facebook for the coming year? Yeah, listen, I, I have actually a little bit less criticism of Facebook than I do of some of our largest advertisers. I think that like, you know, Facebook has been very, very clear. I don't particularly agree with some of their stances in terms of, you know, content moderation. I actually think, you know, that if they, you know, wanted to put, you know, a thousand engineers on it, they probably could solve a lot a problem a lot easier than, you know, um, I don't know if you guys have seen Casey Newton's reporting in The Verge, but what they've done with, you know, uh, moderators is, you know, mm. a little, a little nutty. To me, it's the advertisers, right? The, the advertisers are what create the, you know, billions and billions of dollars of revenue. And the reality is that a lot of America's biggest advertisers just don't care, right? And, and as much as they want to participate in a debate around, um, you know, around what should and shouldn't be on Facebook when they're, you know, having dinner uh, in their homes, right? They're still spending, you know, tens of millions of dollars on the, on the platform. And, you know, Facebook is very, very explicit, right? Again, if I was running it, I would probably take a different stance, right? We, we refuse to accept, uh, we have a very high standard at Chartbeat in terms of what clients we accept and we don't accept, but Zuckerberg's been very explicit and still the advertisers who, you know, who, um, uh, you know, create a lot of the revenue, right? They don't really seem to care. And um, that goes for everything from, you know, small companies, right? Um, to the biggest advertisers in the world who, you know, literally spend tens of millions of dollars. And that's the way, if you want to send a message that you don't like the content that's on Facebook or YouTube or anywhere, right? That's the way to send it, right? And, and that, that's where my frustration lies. Yeah, I just think Facebook is, is still a bit like Teflon, isn't it? You, know, you chuck anything at it and, it and the share price seems to still creep up and, uh, and the value of the company and the interest in it, it uh, from a business point of view doesn't seem to falter too much. Although there have been signals of you know a plateauing of growth in, in some of the uh, monthly active users on some platforms and, and uh, they, they, I don't think it can get much more spotlight than any kind of company in the world because they've got it all. They're hogging it with their you know involvement in all these court cases. It's just you know, what is going to be that tipping point? And uh, is it going to happen this year? I don't know. I just, I think it's going to be another year that Facebook's going to dominate and uh, they'll slide through it somehow. I don't know, Martin, do you think the same or? Yeah, I mean, as John was saying, the fact it's an election year uh, kind of means there'll be lots of scrutiny of them, but at the same time, they are such a key information provider to America and to more importantly, Americans, uh, that, uh, yeah, the, the, you can't really mess with them too much because so many people rely on them and uh, they will continue, well, no matter what happens, they will continue to make a lot of money, which is the important thing for the stock market, which is why their, their, their stock price isn't being affected and uh, why, why all of that continues to go great guns. Uh, and uh, I think depending on the result of the election uh, i think that will depend that will help influence uh, the future of the company in terms of uh, you know does trump get another get, get another term for example uh, that that will make some people incredibly angry uh, but, uh, but then uh, but then maybe make uh, make facebook i mean facebook have been very you know uh, side on the side talking to a lot of people in the trump camp and uh, they know how to play the political game so 
I think that's the important thing to remember. They know how to play the political game. So I think it's going to take a lot to shift uh, Facebook from their, their position of dominance. A lot. Yeah, no, I think so. I don't think it's going to be any uh, any dramatic movement in that front, uh, other than what you said, continual spotlight on, on Facebook and its antics. Uh, there was something else that I was just recording, but I, I can't bring it to mind, so see if I can think before the end. Um, but we're, we're coming up to the end of chatting to you, uh, John. It's been fascinating stuff, as I, as I predicted and expected it would be. Um, but so I wanted to leave enough time to have a bit more of a, an open question about kind of something of the future, really, of content consumption, because one of the things that we've heard from uh, the likes of um, Andrew Bosworth who was on the show? Who's head of AR and VR and Facebook, and and also Jeff, never heard of him. Never heard of him. Some ne- random. Never read. Does it? Does he ever tweet? I've never. Yeah, I've never he likes uh, to uh, write memos. I found. Yeah. Like, does he, is he, I think he's written internal memos too. Yeah, I think. I've, yeah, 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 yeah. Very easily. Yeah. Anyway, he he was talking to us about the fact that um, you know some of the tech that Facebook's invested in or owns now, you know, can do things like you know read almost like read your um, thoughts because it can detect the electrical nerve impulse signals in your body and and then produce emails for you if you're thinking about doing it rather than having to manually type it. But then also that you know they're pushing all of the big tech companies like Apple and uh, and Google and Facebook and others are are pushing uh, uh, AR spectacles or some sort of AR kind of uh, head sp- and head frame unit some sort of thing uh, and virtual reality further down the line even more you know how how's that going to work out for like content consumption just the way that we live our lives you know reading news and engaging in news and and think, and content in general yeah listen I, I you know your guess is as good as mine the the thing that I I'm very, very confident in, you know, there's a, there's a little bit of the like, woe is me around the news media around the current cycle. But, you know, I, I think if you go back, I'm a, a huge, I mean, huge media geek, right. And, and I, I went back and read, um, Catherine Graham, who, who, whose family owned the Washington Post. I went back and read her memoir, personal history, which I highly recommend folks read. And, you know, the sixties and seventies, it wasn't so easy to be a media company either. Right. But the one thing that was constant was that people wanted to make sense of their world, right. They wanted to know, you know, both from a news standpoint, right. What the president did last night, right. What the score of the game was last night. They wanted to know opinion about, you know, what kind of leading minds were thinking. And that con- that's not going away, right? In 50 years, we're going to need professionals to help us figure out, right, how to make sense of our world. And, um, y- you know, I- I'm not sure if that's going to be uh, v- VR and AR. I-, I hope for all of our sake that, um, you know, we won't get so nauseous when we put VR goggles on anymore. I don't, I don't But we, I- I'm pretty confident that'll happen in 50 years. But the, uh, I'm even more confident that in whatever format, folks are going to want the services that journalists and editors and, and folks are, are, are providing, um, you know, and I think that one thing that is that the internet and, and tech will continue to do is make everybody able to be that kind of creator, right? Because one of the things that we've learned in, in the era of the last 25 years is that there's just a lot of really smart people out there who have a lot of interesting things to say, and we can learn from them. And it doesn't have to be the same 25, you know, white men in a cigarette soaked room, like it was in Catherine Graham's, uh, you know, uh, biography and I think, or memoir. And I think that's to me, the takeaway, right. That if we can keep getting people out there creating in all sorts of interesting ways, um, you know, we'll figure out, you know, if you create it, we'll figure out a way to measure it and give you feedback. Let's put it that way. I'll tell you what, I, I've been speaking more and more increasingly to, um, sort of teenagers and and younger people who, you know, friends of my daughter, who's only nine and then my son and really young children, 
And it's amazing how confident they are. They're like, they're all seemingly very confident, believe they can change the world and uh, don't, you know, don't care for the old structures of how to go through like, you know, university and, and having to do a job. It's like, they'll make their job. They'll, you know, make something they like, and then that will be the thing they're going to make money out of, uh, you know, and it's so entrepreneurial. It's quite inspiring. And I'm just intrigued to see how they will impact the, the world. I don't know if you've got kids, John, but that's, I just hope they don't get jaded. Let me just say that because, because uh, that kind of optimism could, could improve things massively in the world. We're their parents. So we, it's our job to make sure they don't get jaded, right? It's our job to make sure that we, uh, you know, we invest and make them dream and hope, right? Cause that's, that's all there is, right? Uh, I think it could be more to, to, to be good to have more Gretas in the world is all I can say. That's what I think about them. Anyway, um, it's been great. Well, you are, you're, you're top 10 in Sweden. I mean, let's, top 10 let's, in Sweden. let's be clear. Uh, that's, that's probably why that's exactly, that's exactly, exactly right. I mean, right. Right. I mean, yeah. is she a listener? I mean, I, I don't know. She is now. Yeah, I'm going exactly. to say it. I'm going to, it. I'm going to make it happen. <laughs> right. um, John, it's been amazing. We could have chatted to you probably for another 50 odd minutes and, uh, and still had more to ask about. Um, but it's been great um, chatting to you. And I think people have got a, a good insight into uh, the world of uh, geeky social media traffic for publishers and, and more beyond. Uh, thank you so much for, for coming yeah, in. The pleasure was all mine, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, thank you. It's time now for Quick Hits. Here's Matt with tests, updates, and more from social media companies. They'll make you feel, they'll make you feel, they'll make you feel like a natural woman. Woman. Or maybe they'll just make you feel mighty real. I don't know. Matt. Like my mouth is just hitting the floor <laughs> with absolute cringe at the moment. I do not know what to say. Your parents know what you do. They, they, they hear this sort of stuff that you're doing. It's crazy. Um, I kind of get paid for this. I don't know how. Oh, insane. Anyway, it's getting worse every week. I'm sorry. Okay. So what have we got? Um, Google, and um, just today as we're recording this, um, they've sort of launched a kind of like a TikToky type app. It's really it's a short form video app, but they're saying it spe- um, specifically focuses on the sort of creativity and di- DIY area. Uh, it's come out of Google's sort of experimental kind of products and apps area area um, one hundred and twenty. So that's new today. So the name of this app is called tangy we think it's t-a-n-g-i tangy tangy something like that hopefully we'll know clearer next week on that one um tiktok have um, started testing their dark mode a few and um, with a few more people in their latest beta on ios so people like dark mode will get that soon uh pinterest also have launched a new ar feature so you can try on makeup a bit like the ones we've seen before on youtube and some other places um but they're going to start doing a bit more of that by the looks of it on the ar side of things with pinterest Instagram shared a story uh, earlier on this week when we were recording where it was talking about all those classic questions that you have around, you know, does the algorithm favor this and what happens with comment pods and how do you get verified and what happens if you do this? I've been told it helps you get verified. It doesn't involve contacting me. Um, <laughs> is uh, That was a story, but you can find the details of it because um, it's been gr- really helpfully saved by Social Media Today's article on it, which we'll put in the episode notes. Uh, LinkedIn and not, doesn't always do exciting things, but sometimes very useful things is merging its Elevate uh, Employee Advocacy Toolkit product with company pages to uh, make them kind of work together better. And I think they've realized the competition there for that space is uh, pretty intense. And also they have a lot to give by giving some of this stuff away to get them and um, getting it being used. So I can see that being a smart move. Uh, good Instagram account to follow is uh, in, uh, Influencers in the Wild. If you go to Instagram and search that, if you haven't seen that this week, then that's, well... You'll see. It's good. Uh, Joanna Stern from the Wall Street Journal, she's done an amazing uh, TikTok explainer kind of 101 video, which is uh, just you know plain and simple and uh, as you'd want it to be helpful. So uh, go and have a look at that. 
new Instagram share mentions in stories feature. So in your create mode, you can have, um, there's an at symbol kind of button for your story, which allows you to share any recent mentions of you in other people's stories. Uh, you can do this in other ways on Instagram, of course, but this is just another way to do it and into some design spin on it, I guess, in terms of how it's presented within that uh, feature. And then finally, the Twitter DM reactions. Uh, so this is something that was kind of at the cusp of when we were doing the last show. Um, so you can now react to direct messages on in the app or on desktop and a bit like Facebook's where you have the kind of different emojis. Uh, there's a selection for you to pick. So Twitter has got on the emoji reactions as well. There we go. And I certainly feel mighty real now. So there oh, we go. <laughs> Jesus. We're never going to get sponsored again. Anyway, Martin, who have we got on the show next week? Next week, we'll be talking TikTok because we're going to be joined by Inam Mahmood, who is in charge of EMEA Commercial Partnerships at, yes, TikTok. God, I'm glad to have someone from TikTok on the show. Everyone's asking me questions about it. I'm hoping I'm going to get some answers uh, mm. there for me to give to other people to present their mind. Um, anyway, uh, if you haven't done already, hit subscribe in your podcast app of choice so that you get notified as soon as the next episode is available, which will be in a week from now. Geek Out with Matt Navarra is a Big Revolution production. Find out more at bigrevolution.net slash podcasts. And we also have a daily newsletter, which you can subscribe to to keep up with the latest tech and media news. Uh, each weekday edition also has a big dollop of analysis on a current trend or story from my fair typing fingers too. Visit bigrevolution.net slash newsletter for more information and to sign up. You can find me on Twitter as at martinsfp. And I'm at Matt Navarro on Twitter. So don't forget to tell people about the podcast. The more people that get to listen to it means we can keep on doing it. So help us out there. And of course, you can join the Facebook group, the Social Media Geek Out on Facebook, where everyone is discussing all of this stuff and lots, lots more and some great memes. Absolutely. So we'll see you soon. Goodbye, geeks. Goodbye, geeks.